0: Mark 3. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth, and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan. And they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God! And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. And he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said... He hath an unclean spirit. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother, or my brethren? And he looked round about on them, which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother.
1: All right, Mark chapter number three. You're there already, I hope. Uh, Let's turn there. Mark chapter number three. Who remembers what we talked about the last time we had the opportunity to be in the gospel according to Mark? You can just look up the page there to the end of chapter 2 where we uh, see uh, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, right? Uh, We Remember the final verse of chapter 2, the Son of Man, that's a divine title for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the Son of Man, he said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And then we look down at verse number one of chapter three. Jesus entered again into the synagogue. I like this because it wasn't his first time, evidently. He entered again. And so he hung out in good places. He uh, wanted to be around people uh, that he could encourage and he could be encouraged by, and especially a place where. Uh, He knew that uh, God would meet with them in a special way. And before we continue on with this, let's pray and ask God to help us as we continue to study uh, through our series uh, in the gospel according to Mark. Shall we pray? Lord God, I pray that you would bless us and that you would teach us, and I pray that you get the glory for all that's said and done today. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, quiz time. Who is the author? Who is the author of the gospel according to Mark? Trick question, I guess. Sorry? Mark or John Mark. Very good. Was John Mark an apostle? No, he wasn't an apostle. An apostle means sent one, someone who uh, experienced uh, basically uh, the life of Jesus Christ and got to know him personally. And uh, we we find that Mark was also uh, one of the uh, synoptic gospels, meaning what? seeing together, right, synoptics, seeing together, and so uh, these consist of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so Matthew was uh, written to the Jews, Luke was written to the Greeks, and you know, he was a doctor, so he liked to give the complete uh, medical history, if you will, (laughs) no, not really, but uh, genealogies, and uh, he he liked to be very, very thorough, Luke did. Uh, Matthew was very concerned about uh, where did Jesus come from? Was he really the son of David? And Mark was written to Uh, Which group of people, class? The Romans, Romans, that's right. And what kind of words do you see throughout the book of Mark? Immediately, straightway, right away. And so the Romans, I suppose, were very impatient, and they just wanted to get to the point and figure out what exactly Jesus did. And so uh, we find in the gospel according to Mark that it is more concerned with Jesus' deeds than his dialogue. And so Uh, We're noticing in verse number 1, Jesus entered into the synagogue again. And so here's this man here. There was a man with a withered hand. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. They watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he said unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill but they held their peace. And so we know that uh, this man's hand was withered, but God's mercy had still preserved him uh, the use of his feet. And he uses his feet to bring him into the presence of Jesus, uh, to the public worship of God uh, there at the synagogue. And Jesus meets him there, and he heals him there. How true is the proverb. It is never so ill with us, but it might be much worse. The critics of Jesus expected him to heal this man uh, with a withered hand. And by their expectation, they admitted that Jesus had the power to work miracles. Knowing this, they watched him closely so that they might accuse him. They knew what Jesus could do, and yet their knowledge didn't draw them to Jesus. It was as if a man could fly, but authorities want to know if he had a pilot's license. And the religious leaders watched Jesus closely, but with no heart of love for him. They knew about Jesus, but they did not know Jesus. And they also knew Jesus would do something when they saw and when he saw this man in need. In this sense, these critics did have some degree of faith and sometimes more than many of us because sometimes we doubt that Jesus is able uh, to meet the needs of other people. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? In his question to the religious leaders, Jesus emphasized the truth about the Sabbath. There's never a wrong day to do something that is truly good. And you know, according to Sabbath tradition, if you uh, cut your finger, you could stop the bleeding, but you couldn't put ointment on your finger. You could stop it from getting worse, but you weren't allowed to make it better. And this is one of the few places where Jesus is described as having anger. Look at verse 5. When he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand i want to have you all pay attention and pay special attention to that word grieved if you grieve someone for example we can grieve the holy spirit it means in the first place that there is a love or compassion that is present in the life of jesus he had even compassion for the religious leaders for the for the hypocrites for the people uh, who really upset him he was grieved and uh, for what reason? It was the hardness of their hearts. He was angry at the hardness of men's hearts. And so Jesus was angry because this was a perfect opportunity for these critics to admit that he was who he said he was. And so Jesus commands this man with a withered hand to do something impossible, and that is to move his withered hand. And the man might have reasoned at first, Lord, how can I stretch my hand? Why don't you make it whole first, and then I'll stretch my hand out, right? Um Of course, at the command of the Lord, he made the effort, and in making the effort, he was cured. And so Jesus did nothing but a wonderful miracle. In response, two parties of former enemies, the Pharisees and the Herodians, two groups of people who would never get along, uh, end up joining forces, agreed together in one cause to destroy Jesus. And Luke 6.11 says, they were filled with madness. They communed with each other, uh, what they might do to Jesus. Now, let me ask you, which is more uh, of a sin or a greater sin against God a violation of the Sabbath when Jesus healed a man or to plot uh, murder uh, of a man who never sinned against anybody on the Sabbath day? Warren Wiersbe was a theologian of yesteryear, and he mentioned that the Herodians were not a religious party. Uh, They teamed up with the Pharisees, but uh, this group of Jews were sympathetic to the puppet King Herod, and they supported Herod's rule. And so you have uh, supporters of King Herod, uh, supporters of the religious law, and they joined forces because they hate Jesus that much. In verse 7, Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. Notice, from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Idumea, uh, and from beyond Jordan, from Tyre and Zidon, a great multitude, when they heard what great things He did, came unto Him. And so the crowds came unto Jesus uh, from distant places, and yet it seems that this crowd is more interested in what Jesus could do for them, and more uh, in His miraculous works, more than His message, when they heard how many things that He was doing. Oh, it's wonderful for people to be attracted to Jesus. You've heard it before, as have I. The gospel light attracts some strange bugs. And um, unfortunately, uh, these people were more focused on what he could do for them instead of who Christ was. May that never be known of us. And um, if we are focused more uh, on what he can do for us, uh, more on the blessing than the blesser, then we will not follow him for long, we need to be infatuated and enraptured uh, with who Jesus is. Notice an inde- undesirable, notice an undesirable association, an undesirable association. Uh, verse eleven: Many unclean spirits or unclean spirits, devils, you could say. A synonym of unclean spirits are devils, the 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 uh, Satan's lackeys. When they saw Jesus, they fell down before him, and you saw and heard rather the unusual voice we heard on the loudspeakers: "Thou art the Son of God." We see this undesirable association. I believe that Jesus did not want to sully his own holiness and truth with the endorsement of devils. He didn't need, uh, although these these. Uh, devils were saying that, yes, you are the Son of God. Uh, notice that the demons addressed Jesus as the divine Son of God in a futile attempt to render Him harmless. These cries of recognition were designed to control Him and strip Him of His power in accordance with the concession that knowledge of the precise name or quality of a person confers mastery over Him. And so, uh, he, he didn't need their endorsement. Um, so sometimes we need to think about what uh, not, not just what is said, but who it's coming from. And so Jesus said in verse 12, they should not make him known. He straightly charged them hey, shh, shut up, quiet. I don't want you talking. In verse 13, Jesus goeth up into a mountain and he calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. I really like verse 14. Jesus ordained 12 that they should be with him. I've circled that uh, phrase, with him, and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And so, uh, you know, Pastor and I will have very candid conversations and um, just, you know, as church leaders, it happens where you're, you're thinking about, okay, well, how can we shut the back doors of the church house? Okay, if, if anyone knows how to do that, let me know, right? But, you know, uh, church retention, why aren't they coming back? Why do we baptize people and then, you know, we don't see them six months down the road? Um, why is that? Um, of course, uh, people do what they want to do. We can't twist people's arm. But uh, Jesus, you could say, someone is telling me that Jesus really had a small retention rate. He only did have uh, 12 people. Uh, that stayed uh, with him, and one of them was a devil, right? Uh, as he said, Judas Iscariot betrayed him. Uh, spoiler alert in verse 19. Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, uh, is listed in this list of disciples. Uh, but he ordained just 12 people. He ordained some people and invested heavily in these people. He gave them power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. In verse, uh, verses 13 through uh, 15. And Jesus chooses these 12. And at this time, Jesus was at a critical point in his ministry. Responding to the opposition, he spent a whole night in prayer in Luke 6, verse 12. He chose these 12 disciples at this time. And he's already, at this point, offended the religious leadership. Uh, They've applauded his destruction. Great crowds followed him, but they weren't interested in spiritual things and could quickly be turned against Jesus. And his response to all of this was to pick and choose some leaders to train. In one sense, there was nothing in Jesus' three years of ministry that was more, uh, in these three years of ministry before the cross, that was more important than this, because these men uh, would be the men that would carry on what he started. Without them, the work of Jesus would not extend throughout the whole world, and therefore, he made the decision and choice with the wisdom of God. He called to him those who he himself wanted. A disciple in that day and age was a disciplined learner, a student, but not in a classroom and lecture sense. A disciple learned by being with and hearing from his rabbi or his master. A disciple was an apprentice and he learned from the master firsthand. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and he appointed these uh, to be uh, among his larger circle of followers or from his larger circle of followers and appointed them that they might be together with him now the first uh, first disciple job if you will or the first task of disciples was simply to be with Jesus to learn from being around him you can't do anything for God until you've been with him and so we must worship before we work a disciple's a student but in the first century, a student did not simply study a subject, he followed a teacher. And there is an element of personal attachment in disciple that is lacking in the word student. If words have meaning and language has integrity, then ideas matter. And so the business of a minister of Christ is first, first to preach the gospel. I did not say pray. I said to Uh, Not to uh, speak your mind or your opinion, but to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, first of all, with my life, with your life, and then your lips. Who cares uh, what you have to say if you're filled with dead men's bones? Hypocrisy is the scourge of the modern church. Oftentimes, our words do not match our worship. Too much talk, not enough action. The truth will set us free, but it first must make us miserable. You can't share Christ until you've been with Him. And so first, to preach, and secondly, their task was to be a physician of souls, and third, to wage war with the devil. You'll see there, we already read that. And the 12 disciples are listed in verses 16 through 19. Uh, notice Simon, he surnamed Peter there and, uh, in, in verse 16. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, uh, John, the brother of James, and he uh, surnamed them Boanerges, uh, and, uh, which is the sons of thunder. He gave them a nickname because they were just known for their bombastic attitude. And so um, it goes on and on. Uh, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Judas, who betrayed him. And so we don't know too much about these 12 men of Peter, James, and John. And Judas, we know something about, but of the other eight, we only know their names. And so uh, I believe uh, that their fame is reserved for heaven where their names are on the 12 foundations Of God's heavenly city, a la Revelation 21 verse 14. And so, the Bible values fame, but fame in heaven. And for the most part, this group is not famous in the sense that we think of fame, you know, uh, TikTok celebrities or the internet or YouTubers or whatever, or A-list celebrity even talking Hollywood or whatever. Uh, We weren't, uh, uh, they weren't famous in that sense. Uh, We must learn to value and respect heaven's fame and not modern fame. There are many interesting connections with this group. I mean, there are brothers. We got James and John. We got uh, Peter and Andrew. We got business associates. Remember Peter, John, and James? They were all fishermen. Uh, We got political opponents. We got Matthew, the Roman collaborator, uh, with Simon, the Roman empire-hating zealot, and they're on the same team now, and one who would betray Jesus. He's on his own team, And so uh, Mark gives a note for the Gentiles by uh, translating the Sons of Thunder, and is perhaps a reference to the fiery disposition, as I've mentioned, of James and John. And now uh, there's also Simon the Canaanite, you see there. And so uh, Canaanite there has nothing to do with geography. It is the Hebrew word for zealous, identifying Simon as a member of the radical zealot political party. So today we have Democrats and Republicans, we have conservatives and liberals, and back then they had uh, some third-party groups there uh, called zealots. And so uh, Judas' surname of Iscariot probably indicates that he was a man from the south. And so he was from the southern kingdom of Judah, Judea, and uh, d- thus seems to have been the only Judean among the 12. Also of note, it seems that the names of the 12 disciples are usually arranged in pairs. Before I studied this message, I didn't really know this. Uh, Since Jesus sent out his apostles two by two, this was a logical way to list them. And so you see Peter and Andrew, probably their own team. Uh, James and John, brothers, uh, probably their own team. Philip and Bartholomew, their own team. Thomas, Downing Thomas, and tax collector Matthew, same team. Uh, James Alphaeus and Thaddeus, also known as Judas, the son of James, uh, same team, and then Simon the zealot and uh, Judas Iscariot. What a team over there, I tell you what. Um, The choice of Judas was just as important as the choice of any of the other disciples, but many people wonder, why Iscariot? Why the betrayer? Why did Jesus choose Judas? And it wasn't because Jesus didn't know how that decision would turn out. He told his disciples that he chose them and that one of them was the devil, and it wasn't because he had no others to choose. He knew that he could raise up his followers from stones, so he could have easily found somebody else. It's not because the team needed a bad boy. It's not because they wanted a scandalous person. We read of no scandal surrounding Jesus' uh, ministry uh, during that time. And the other disciples did far more stupid things during their three years of, uh, with Jesus, uh, until Judas went and did his deeds. And so a man asked a theologian, a Bible teacher, why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot to be his disciple? The teacher responded, I thought that was really wise. The, the teacher replied, I don't know why he chose Judas, but I have an even more difficult question. Why did Jesus choose me? Who are we? Psalm eight says, "What is man that thou art mindful of him? We're nothing, and but for the grace of God, there go I." And so, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and you are what you are. And so, man, uh, we have to guard our hearts and uh, ask the Holy Spirit of God to protect us uh, from the enemy. In Mark chapter three, verses twenty and twenty-one, Jesus answers accusations. Uh, notice verse twenty: the multitude cometh together again, so that They could not so much as eat bread. So imagine, the the press was so much so that they would try to raise a piece of bread or lunch to their mouth, and people were just crowding them, and they couldn't eat. They just had to be squished, and it was a very uncomfortable experience. And so uh, verse 21, his friends heard of that, and so they went to lay hold on Jesus, for they said, he is beside himself. Jesus you're crazy. What are you doing? You are putting yourself in harm's way. You can't even eat. And so uh, the idea uh, is that the huge crowds pressed upon Jesus so much uh, that they couldn't even have the time or space to just live peaceably. Since Jesus grew up in Galilee and practiced his ministry there, so many many people would know Jesus and before uh, this time of wide popularity. And so there was at least some reason why people, Uh, some of his own friends and acquaintances thought that Jesus was out of his mind. Uh, I mean, first of all, he left a prosperous business in carpentry to become a traveling preacher, uh, a street preacher, a religious uh, uh, sphere, and the political sphere. All those leaders plotted to murder Jesus, but he didn't even back down to that. They were afraid, his friends were, for Jesus' sake. They wanted to protect him. Huge crowds began to follow Jesus, and they knew uh, how much fame and celebrity could go to somebody's head. And uh, he, he showed spiritual power and ministry he had never really shown earlier in his life. Was something very wrong? Was Jesus okay? <laughs> I mean, he, he picked such an unlikely group of disciples that his judgment could fairly be questioned. But there was one last straw, and the pressures of this incredible ministry really made him miss these regular mealtimes. And so, that was the last straw. That's why they went to go see him. And so, Jesus constantly faced the rejection of the religious and political leaders of the day, and in a way, their hatred of Jesus made sense. He actually threatened their status quo. And so, it isn't uh, easy to be profoundly misunderstood as we try to walk with God. Uh, When the Lord said, a man's enemies will be... in." those in his own home. In Matthew chapter 10, he may as well have been speaking from bitter experience. And so Christ Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him till after uh, his resurrection, and during his earthly ministry, they prodded him to prove himself in John chapter 7. And so uh, let's look at uh, verse 22. The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, "'He hath Beelzebub by the prince of devils casteth he out devils.'" The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were an official delegation of experts from Jerusalem coming down to Galilee to observe and assess the ministry of Jesus. So you can imagine a high council of very important-looking people and saying, all right, we need to uh, squash this rebellion going down over there and see what's going on, make sure it's not getting too out of hand, or if we need to take action, what should we do? And so let's assess this ministry. And so the opinion of a scribe uh, carried a lot of weight with many people. It was all about credentials. It was all about, did you go to this school? Uh, did, you, did you learn from this rabbi? Uh, what's the deal? Well, let's figure out what's going on with Jesus. Maybe they were official uh, emissaries from the great Sanhedrin uh, who came to examine the miracles of Jesus uh, and whether or not Capernaum should be declared a seduced city or the prey of an apostate preacher. After watching and hearing Jesus, they concluded that Jesus was being possessed by Satan, uh, which is terrible. They wouldn't say that Jesus was possessed by just any demon, but by Satan himself. And on the part of the scribes, this was an unwilling admission, uh, yet uh, an admission of the exceptional power and the greatness of Jesus. Remember, this wasn't the only time that Jesus was insulted like this. John seven twenty, thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. Uh, john eight forty eight say we not well that thou art a Samaritan hast a devil uh, John chapter ten he hath the devil and his man why hear ye him luke seven thirty four behold a gluttonous man and a wine bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners by the prince of devils casteth he out devils and so luke eleven fourteen tells us that this accusation came in response to a dramatic demonic deliverance, and so the religious leaders, attributed this working of Jesus to Beelzebub. Now, no one wants to be misunderstood. Uh, Who here has been misunderstood? I'd say all of us, right? And so uh, don't be the gossip in somebody else's life, because you know how much that hurts, okay? And so Jesus' own people misunderstood Jesus, but the scribes who came down from Jerusalem viciously and cynically attacked Jesus, because of their official position, this was the first step in their plot to destroy him. Beelzebub, uh, this name clearly refers to Satan, but it is kind of a difficult name to analyze. Um, very similar to the Hebrew phrase, Lord of the Flies. And so uh, it is supposed that this idol was the same with Beelzebub, the god fly that was worshipped at Ekron, who had his name changed by the Jews to Baal Zebul, the dung god, which was uh, a title of utmost contempt, the god of poop okay? And so uh, Mark three twenty three verse 27, Jesus answers those who attributed his work to Beelzebub. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, verse 23, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. How can Satan cast out Satan? Jesus showed that if he were an agent of Satan, working against Satan, then surely Satan's kingdom was in a civil war and would not stand. Jesus said this to show that Satan would not work against himself. No man would enter into a strong man's house and plunder uh, his goods. And with this, Jesus answered the charge that he was in league with the devil. He said, I'm not under Satan. He said, instead, I'm proving that I'm stronger than he is. In this parable, Satan is the strong man, and he guards what belongs to him. Jesus' ministry was uh, defeating this strong man in both the case of casting the demon out of the man who is mute and in the broader sense. Jesus looked at every life, every life delivered from Satan's domination and said, I'm plundering the kingdom of Satan one life at a time. And there's nothing in our life that should stay under the domination of Satan. The one who binds the strong man and will plunder his house is our risen Lord. Look at verse 28. Verily I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he shall, uh, that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now, Miss Ross, I remember asking you many, many years ago in the Cameron Recreation Center parking lot, do you know what the unforgivable sin is? And you told me, what is that? And so, you know, uh, through, through, from that point up until now, I've never forgotten that conversation. I, I don't know. Uh, but this, this is what it is. Uh, Jesus warns the religious leaders about the unforgivable sin. What is this? It's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so this person guilty of sin, of this sin, is subject to eternal condemnation. That is, they can never be forgiven of this sin. And in other Gospels, the sin is described as unforgivable. And these religious leaders, uh, these scribes were in danger of this, Because they looked at the perfectly good and wonderful work of God and attributed that to Satan, and that was wrong. And notice that these men had not yet committed the impardonable sin, but they were in danger. Otherwise, Jesus would have never warned them. By his own words, there's no use warning a man who has committed the impardonable sin because he's beyond help. And many people wonder what the blasphemy of the Spirit is, and uh, some wonder if they committed the sin. The warning of Jesus makes us recognize the terrible danger of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and our need to avoid this sin at all costs. At the same time, we guard our hearts against the unwarranted accusation of this sin. Now, we understand what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is by first understanding what the ministry of the Spirit is about. Regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said when the Spirit's come, He's going to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and that He will testify of Jesus. That is the job description of the Spirit. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And therefore, When we persistently reject the work of the Spirit, and when we have a continued settled rejection of what He wants to tell us about Jesus, that's when we're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And so this is key. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, not because it is a sin too big for God to forgive, but because it is an attitude of heart that cares nothing for God's forgiveness. It never has forgiveness because it never wants forgiveness God's way. God's work must be done God's way. And so don't reject the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, whether you're listening online or maybe in this room. Uh, uh, Don't be stubborn. Submit to the Lord. And uh, if you're worried about committing this sin, very likely you haven't, uh, because uh, that's evidence that if you're worried about it, you likely have not. Okay? And so the commentator, Ironside, wrote, these sins were never intended to torment anxious souls. This is great. Uh, This was never intended to torment people, honestly desiring to know Christ, but they stand out as a blazing beacon warning of the danger of persisting in the rejection of the Spirit's testimony of Christ until the seared conscience no longer responds to the gospel message. And so I'm glad to be Christian, glad to be saved, amen, we don't have to worry about that. In Mark uh, 31, 35, just to close out, Jesus describes his true family relationships for whosoever, verse 35, shall do the will of God the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. And so he looked around at everybody and says this phrase. Perhaps the family of Jesus sent to him to carry out the plan to, uh, described in verse 21 to lay hold of him. And so uh, they were thinking that Jesus was beside himself. And so we might have expected that Jesus' family would have special privileges before him, but it almost surprises us that they do not. And yet the brothers of Jesus never seemed supportive of his ministry, as I've mentioned, before his death and resurrection. Jesus plainly had brothers. The Roman Catholic idea of the perpetual virginity of Mary is in contradiction to the plain meaning of the Bible. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. And so the chapter ends with a huge contrast. There are spiritual leaders in danger of damnation, but there's also an invitation to be a part of God's family. If you, ne- if you never joined the family of God, now's the time. Today. Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother.